Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. From the studios of Fox 5 DC in Washington, DC, you're listening to the On the Hill podcast. Tom Fitzgerald along with you again, and we welcome you in. Chuck McCullough is a former inspector general and now with the Compass Rose Legal Group here in the Washington, DC area, and uh, we welcome him in here on the On the Hill podcast. Chuck, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I want to kind of start with a little bit of background on what it is you used to do as the inspector general. Now, you were in the intelligence That's area. That's correct. So what was your job? Well, I spent 10 years as an FBI agent before mm -hmm. that. Um, I was also a, uh, a lawyer at the Treasury Department. I was an enforcement lawyer. But, uh, and I spent 10 years at the NSA as the, uh, the head of investigations there, the, the worldwide investigations. Uh, back in 2011, President Obama nominated me to be the the first inspector general for the entire intelligence community. It was a brand new position that had been created. And so I was confirmed by the uh, Senate Select Intelligence Committee uh, back in 2011, and I served uh, in that position for six years. Now, that's an area, especially intelligence, where there are select committees, there are closed door meetings. You know, we don't cover a lot of what really goes on in that community. and. That's that's by design um, because we obviously don't want our adversaries to know what we know. Um, but can you say, are we in a better position today than what we used to hear about in the aftermath of 9-11 about uh, non, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it non-cooperation, but a, but a kind of a friction relationship maybe between the FBI and the intelligence organizations? So absolutely, you're talking about the old uh, connect the dots yeah, deal, yeah. and uh, absolutely, uh, and really, I would I would credit that to Jim Clapper. Uh, he was the director of national intelligence, mm -hmm. and uh, the DNI went through a rocky start. The ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Well, it wasn't clear what the job was. It wasn't clear what yeah. the job was, and it wasn't clear what their authority was. And you see, the the CIA had been the big dog. Uh, for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. The CIA director also acted as what was called the DCI, the Director of Central Intelligence. Mm -hmm. Well, the DNI was created, and, all, and Congress gave all of the DCI's powers, uh, just sort of threw them over the transom to the DNI. Mm -hmm. But uh, when Jim came in as the, the DNI, he had already been the director at the National Geospatial Agency. He'd been the director at the DIA. He'd been the Undersecretary for Defense. So uh, he's, he had 50 years in the intel business, and uh, he imposed requirements for information sharing. Is there still parochialism? Absolutely, mm -hmm. there's still territorialism. And you're never going to get, there should be a little bit, uh, these agencies are idiosyncratic. Mm -hmm. So uh, CIA and DIA do humant, the, which is human intelligence. Uh, the NGA does geoint, mm -hmm. uh, which is maps and that sort of thing. Uh, the NRO buys and flies satellites, uh, but 
in terms of a comprehensive, uh, coordinated effort to share information, uh, it's we are light years ahead of where we were back in uh, for 9/11. Let's go back light years. Let's rewind a little bit. Right. What was your path to the FBI? My pathway to the FBI, uh, law school. I was a mm -hmm. lawyer and uh, joined the FBI back in 1991. What kind of law did you want to do originally? Well, criminal originally, mm -hmm. uh, and then went into the FBI uh, not very long after law school. And uh, I was in the New York division mm -hmm. uh, for a bit. Uh, I was in the Pittsburgh division, spent some time in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. I worked down on the Oklahoma City bombing for a bit. Uh, flew down there right after that happened with uh, the task force down there. And then I did white collar, counterterrorism, drugs, uh, you name it, mm -hmm. I, I did that. And uh, Oklahoma City was 95? 95, that's correct. What did you learn as far as where we are? Was, was You almost look back at Oklahoma City, and that does seem to be a moment in time where things change. I mean, people here in the D.C. area you know, will know that, that security in this city started feeling different in 95, and that was six years before 9-11. Absolutely. Is, is, is that a moment in time that when you were in the FBI, you saw things domestically here? Absolutely. I, I think that was... Uh, you know, if there's such a thing as what's called an institutional epiphany, mm -hmm. that was probably it. Uh, Oklahoma City. O Oklahoma City, yeah. uh, I think, was the first time we realized that some somebody could go out and buy a bunch of ammonium nitrate, mm -hmm. put it in a truck, make a bomb, drive up to a federal building, and explode it and, and, and get away. And so... Um, you can't do that anymore. Uh, there, there, there are all sorts of redundancies, and and the security that's in place now uh, makes that nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, we have a we have an, a free and open society, and uh, you have to. It's an equation where you're balancing security with people's right to make ingress and egress, and and right to have access to their government. And so, nothing's perfectly safe ever. You know. For years um, after the Frank Church hearings in mm -hmm. the 70s, uh, there was this kind of movement to suppress or, or rein in maybe the FBI or the CIA. Um, did that serve us well? Anytime you see... Because you, you always say this thing, we don't know what we don't know. Well, no, but and yeah. we don't, and, and yeah. that's, that's, that's the truth, but... No, I, I don't think that that serves. Well. You see, it, it's cyclical. So I recall mm -hmm. when I was an FBI agent, I was a headquarters supervisor, and this is back in the, the late 90s, um, the, uh, the bin Laden units, mm -hmm. uh, this is before 9-11, had a few people in them, and the priority was cybercrime at that point. And this is right before 9-11. And... Um, you, you see the Bureau at that point in time was also under attack uh, for, for certain things. It waxes and wanes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it probably has since the days of J. Edgar. Yeah. Uh, it's waxed and waned. So, but uh, President Clinton had issues with the FBI. Uh, mm. uh, this president has issues with the FBI. Uh, they're an easy target. You, know, you, mm -hmm. you can't really fight back whether you're a prosecutor or, or an agent. Uh, people get to get to say what they want to say, and you're you're basically a big, vulnerable, easy target. You don't get to go and fight back. When do you leave the FBI? Uh, Two thousand. Mm -hmm. so. so right before nine eleven. Mm -hmm. Yep, about a year before. Um, and then how does it come that you wind up not back in the FBI, but back in a position 
as Inspector General for Intelligence? Well, I was uh, I was at Treasury for a little bit. When mm -hmm. I was at Treasury, I actually spent most of my time working at Treasury, detailed over to something called the Transition Planning Office, mm -hmm. which um, Andy Card actually stood up and ran. Mm -hmm. This is at 18th and G. So uh, this was after 9-11, and uh, the, the people in the TPO stood up what is now called the DHS, mm -hmm. which was different than when DNI was stood up. Uh, DHS was, uh, DNI was something that was basically created out of whole cloth. It was, it was created uh, a functionality mm -hmm. that CIA was kind of doing uh, in, in name. Right, because the feeling after 9-11 was we need someone who has their arms around all of it. Everything. And different parts of this are not communicating effectively with the other parts. Unfortunately, yeah. and that's true. Yeah. And unfortunately, when you do that, so... DHS, rather than being made out of whole cloth, was you're bringing all these disparate agencies together, the, mm -hmm. the Federal Protective Service, the Secret Service, the Customs Service, uh, the, the Border Patrol, all together. And you're realigning things, and they all have different management systems. They all have different pay systems. They, so it was, uh, and I, I think it was something like two or 300,000 people. Uh, th back then, this was yeah. when there was still something called the INS. And... Mm -hmm. um, Immigration Naturalization Immigration yeah. Naturalization Service. So it was, uh, it was a huge uh, ordeal, but I spent uh, most of my time at Treasury detailed over to this task force, mm -hmm. uh, helping to uh, what was then uh, called the Homeland Security Act. I mm -hmm. helped to form uh, the, uh, or to draft the information sharing provisions mm -hmm. of the act. And, and of course, that was 2002, 2003. And so the purpose of that act and the information sharing provisions was to create mm -hmm. something that would statutorily require all these agencies to share. I think at that point, the government realized they're not gonna do it on their own. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not gonna get this play nicely together. We need to actually pass laws and force them to. So, we'll fast forward, you become the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. That sounds like a pretty uh, broad mantle. So you have jurisdiction over the CIA, over the intelligence units of the FBI, over the a national security agency? How, how, how wide does your reach go? In well, theoretically job? you do. So I was, yeah. I was at the NSA for, for 10 years uh, before I went over to work with Jim Clapper. Mm -hmm. And I went over to the ODNI and I had been there for maybe two weeks. And uh, I was, uh, I, I had basically called back to the NSA and said, beam me up, this place is crazy. Uh, it's, <laughs> at that point in time, this was about 2000, I think, crazy eight, how? eight or nine. Well, it wasn't, again, it, it was uh, the, the mandate. Congress didn't know what the ODNI was supposed to be. Clapper had mm -hmm. just gotten there. There had been, I think, at that point in time, four or five directors prior to him. Uh, John Negroponte was Negroponte was one. There, yeah. Some admirals. Uh, so it was, it was uh, disorganized. They weren't really quite sure what the mandate was. Uh, and so what Jim Clapper did that I think was the right thing was basically push most of the operational stuff, except for NCTC, the National Counterterrorism Center. Mm -hmm. He pushed most of the operational stuff back to the agencies. But he, uh, and he flattened out the organization. And, uh, and I think this is because he'd been a director at a couple different agencies, and, and so mm -hmm. uh, he, he knew how to do this. But, um, and then he stayed for seven, eight years, mm -hmm. so you had some continuity and consistency. But yeah, it was a big job. You're, you don't really have jurisdiction over the CIA IG or the, I, I led something called the ICIG Forum 
which was the Intelligence Community Inspector General Forum, where I, I led the 17 uh, IGs on a quarterly basis. But, but a lot of Inspector Generals, they'll come out with reports and they'll come out with, you know, press statements or, right. or, or press conferences. That they are, are You're kind of limited in, in, in that a, a bit in the intelligence because you can't quite exactly open up as exactly. to everything that you're dealing with because that would you know reveal some some operational well and this may happen i expect probably the Mueller folks are working on some sort of unclassified summary you always mm -hmm. try to release an unclassified summary and I, I learned this i did the boston bombing review with mike horowitz from doj uh, with cia and with dhs the, the zarniev brothers when they uh, this, bombed the, exactly, the boston marathon exactly and we testified before congress about that but um, doing that review Extremely classified, the CIA was involved, obviously their systems, NCTC was involved, but we were still able to draft an unclassified summary, and that's mm -hmm. really what people are looking for. Well, the, the risk is that once it goes to Congress, uh, frankly, mm -hmm. after working for, for, with Congress for, for nearly 30 years, they just can't. They can't maintain things. They leak like a sieve. Yeah. And so you're better off giving them something unclassified that they can look at and release rather than giving them, and usually the briefings are the classified briefings. So you, you look back at the Boston Marathon bombing, and that was one of those situations where we learned later that the FBI had um, been aware of these individuals and you know, at one point had, had spoken with them, from, right. from what I understand. Um, there's a form of that when you, when you look at the Pulse nightclub shooting as well, too. Is that essentially the the job and the the you know the responsibility that you have to make these calls where you talk to these people and then you have to decide are they going to try to blow up a marathon or is he going to walk into a, well, a this nightclub is the thing, at some point? This is the thing yeah. that. Uh, the directors will tell you, uh, the directors of the, it, whether it's law enforcement or intel agencies, uh, you don't get any praise for getting it right. They, right. Get, they get it right yeah. a thousand times a day and nobody knows. And then you're second guessing uh, if, if you don't. Uh, but if you get it wrong once, uh, all of a sudden, and so as an IG, you go back in and you do lessons learned, you, you, you go, I mean, basically you're looking at where procedures followed. Was this just a human error? Mm -hmm. As in the Boston bombing case, there was a post-it note that was put on someone's desk that wasn't seen for a couple of weeks because someone was on leave. Rather than going through the, the systems that should have been gone through, uh, there was a passing of a post-it note, which if that note had been read, mm -hmm. but you start getting into this this sort of crystal ball of, uh, reanalysis of things. We're saying, well, if that had happened, if that had happened, if that had happened. And so so what makes a good IG? Because from the public's viewpoint, you know, you would say, well, this is going to be the person who's kind of almost the ombudsman right. for the for the department. They'll come in and they'll take. But, you know, it's easy to walk into a place and, and point at problems. Right. So you also have to part of your job is not isn't part of your job to also come up with solutions. Absolutely. Yeah. So you make recommendations. You don't. It's easy to go around and find things that are wrong. Yeah. Anybody can do that. Right. It's. Uh, but if you're good uh, at what you're doing, if you're if you're actually uh, a real oversight and real compliance work, mm -hmm. um, you can't be you can't get so close to Congress that now you're just a congressional staffer sitting in the executive spaces. Mm -hmm. Nobody will trust you then in the agency. Um, I I enjoyed a very good relationship with Jim Clapper. We got along famously, um, which is unusual for a director and an IG to get along. Um, because you're being critical. Well, all the time. That's your job yeah. is to be critical. Uh, on the other hand, um, 
as an IG, you have a, a duty to report to Congress. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, people, you can say what you want about Comey. Comey wasn't an IG. He had a little mm -hmm. bit of a different uh, obligation with the Hillary email thing. But when we reported the emails that were classified in in that whole situation, we had a duty to do that. Uh, and let's let's talk about that because I think right. when when people hear your name, right, Chuck McCullough, that might be you know despite your long career one of the first things that pops through their mind that they remember, um, sure, you know your role in 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 the Clinton email investigation. So. Take, take me back to that. What was presented to you and what did you ultimately determine when it came to Hillary Clinton's emails? Well, what was presented, I mean, we started with a request from three senators. Uh, one was on foreign relations, Senator Corker, mm -hmm. um, Senator Johnson, and then Senator Burr was the, the chair of the SSCI at the time. Uh, to now look he's at the chairman of the Senate Intelligence That Committee. That's yeah. correct, yeah. And so... The request was for uh, the State Department IG to work with the ICIG uh, to determine whether or not there was classified information traversing the State Department. So this is right after it came out that she was using a, a private server. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I didn't initially realize that Senator Burr had signed it. And I, I was at uh, a meeting with my, he's a good friend of mine now. We talked to each other every day for two years because uh -huh. of the email thing. Uh, the, the State Department IG, and I, I, I wished him luck. And I said, right. good luck with that. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I oh, mean, so you didn't think it was yours? I didn't think it was mine initially, and then he turned to the last page. There was just one line that had gone over uh, two pages. The third page was just the, the signature line for Senator Burr, and he said, no, no, look. And he said, your guy signed, <laughs> that, uh -huh. and that's my committee. The, the SSCI is my committee, and so if the chair of my committee is asking me to do something, uh, they, they're the Committee of Jurisdiction over the Intel community. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we ended up, we couldn't look at all of the State Department systems. The State Department had already pulled apart these, these emails, and we said, well, they're already doing a FOIA review, a Freedom of Information Act review on these things. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just look at the procedures they're using, and if we can validate that they can spot classified information when it's there, then we're in and out, and we don't have to actually do this analysis of looking at all these emails. Mm -hmm. And we, I thought this would take maybe a few days. And I, a I few said, days. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I thought I didn't. Well, we had no expectation of what of finding. Because uh, you didn't know what you were about to walk absolutely into. Absolutely not. Yeah. And so, sent a guy over there. He came back. Long story short, there's a a, a whole bunch of classified information, and of course, everybody thinks that uh, the State Department IG or 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 I am classifying this stuff. And mm -hmm. it wasn't, it, we sent this straight back to the agencies it came from. We, we can tell, and it's very unique, what, some of these, these emails were very unique in terms of the intelligence that they were talking about. Um, so unique that you know, we knew this, this is geoint. this had to come from a certain agency. Mm -hmm. And so, and lo and behold, it came from here, it came from you know, over here. If it's SIGINT, obviously it's the NSA. And so we went back to the agencies and said, hey, is this stuff classified? And lo and behold, uh, part of our sample initially was classified. We pulled more. There was more classified. And so we had a problem at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I referred the entire matter over to the FBI for, for investigation. The case gets reopened again, briefly, right before the election, uh, because of uh, Anthony Weiner. Uh, who Medine computer apparently had some of these. Now, were you still the IG at that point? I was still the IG. Yeah. 
Um, so Comey has Comey has been asked quite a bit about that about this, you know, and his his answer kind of has been you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't reopen the investigation, they're going to accuse you of covering up. If you do, which he ultimately did, reopen the investigation, you're throwing a wrench into the, to the 2016 election. Is that from the inside what you were faced with? Absolutely. Yeah. And because we sent our letter. Uh, a couple days before the Iowa caucus, and I had, I had, you know, we were cognizant of this election occurring, obviously, and mm-hmm. so the letter that I initially sent to Congress was some of the the more grave findings that there were there were special access programs involved, there were, there were compartmented programs involved in this stuff. Um, I sent that, and you know, you, on one hand, I had Congress berate me, saying, "You know, you you shouldn't have sent that. That you, you need to pay attention to politics." Mm-hmm. And I said, "You know, au contraire. I'm an IG. I'm supposed to be apolitical, right? I'm supposed to be doing this in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Here's what we found. Now, I I have to defend Jim Comey. I mean, he sent that letter to Congress. He didn't mm-hmm. he didn't release that letter, and that was a private letter sent from the director of the FBI, same, same as I had sent mm-hmm. to Congress. As soon as you send that to Congress, and this is why I'm saying the same thing with the Mueller report, as soon as anything goes to Congress within an hour, it's going to get stuck on somebody's, uh, on their websites. They're just going to put it right up. Because they leak. They leak like a sieve. Yeah. Um, and depending upon uh, who it helps politically, it's going to get out. So I don't think Jim really had a choice. I, I, I can see arguments for both sides. You know, something maybe he could have done was to go brief mm-hmm. on this and 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 then not comment on on their characterizations of what he was doing. But he had to tell Congress what he was doing. When you look back on it now, a, a lot, God, endless words have been said about Hillary Clinton's emails. Right. What what do we know for sure happened there, and how consequential was it? Well, it, it was extremely consequential in terms of. In terms of the the rules that were violated, mm-hmm. in terms of a damage assessment, I don't know that I don't know. Uh, I retired before the uh, the damage assessment was finished. I believe what used to be called the National Counterintelligence I- Executive. It's now the it's called the NCSC. It's a security mm-hmm. center within the ODNI, and I believe the FBI. They they did some damage uh, assessment. But uh, in terms of, of how consequential it was, so you classify these things based upon the relative harm to the country. Mm-hmm. And there were, there, were very cla- there were emails that were so classified in there that my, my people, uh, and, and we were the IG, so we mm-hmm. had almost every cl- clearance known to man. I had to get my people read in to certain compartments to even see these emails that were out there residing on this private server. Mm. Now, did she know that? Did she understand? I don't know. I mean, yeah. now you're getting into a matter of intent. Was this just sort of sloppy and reckless? Uh, it certainly was mm. reckless. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you bring up that thing about, you know, the mix between politics and blind justice here. Right. You know, and you look back on it now, and, you know, we just went through a minor, I think, thing with. Um, Ivanka Trump and, and Jared Kushner right. using, uh, you know, private email and maybe discussing things. things, things. Um, the problem with the political discussion is that people do tend to discount this story in a way, but the, it's important because it does speak to how in the 21st century people with access to this information, 
need to be responsible and deal with it. And if you don't learn that lesson moving forward, you know, something really, really bad could come of this, even, you know, um, putting people's lives Absolutely. At, at risk. And, and that's why we classify things. But it's, it's hard to have that discussion when everybody, on the one hand, the people on the right are saying, but, you know, but Hillary's emails, <laughs> and the people on the left are saying, oh, it was just a, a, an attack on her. Right. Um, so the, the, the reality of the situation gets lost in this political tug of war. Just to, to wrap the whole thing yeah. up into a bowl, it wasn't an attack. We, yeah. we did everything to the greatest extent possible right down the middle. We, we, yeah. we, we tried, but you, know, we, you knew whatever you did because of the, of the polarization on the Hill at this point, mm -hmm. half of the people are, are gonna discount whatever you're doing and call you a partisan hack, yeah. and the other half are gonna encourage you and tell you uh, how courageous you are for, mm -hmm. for doing what you're doing. All you can do is get the information that, that you get, make recommendations, pass mm -hmm. it on. What I can say is, is that uh, if that was anybody else in the Intel community who had had a private server with that sort of information on there, um, that person would have, their clearance would have been revoked. They would have been dismissed from employment. Mm -hmm. Would they have been prosecuted? I think that's, it, look, that's a whole other ball of wax and uh, the FBI, Jim Comey made that decision apparently mm -hmm. and th there are some issues with, with uh, the communication with DOJ and the conflicts and everything else. So, but I, I think it depends on whether or not there was intent there, whether or not she actually knew. If she didn't know these things were classified, you have to wonder about, uh, there, there's a bit of a competence issue there that you, mm -hmm. you kind of wonder about. If she knew they were classified and still, we, we routinely prosecute people and fire people and revoke their clearances for much, much less. Right now, I represent people, I defend people who's- well, I actually saw one, I was in the courtroom when General Cartwright- There you go. You know, accepted a that, plea a for you know, the Iranian uh, uh, computer uh, nuclear uh, story. It's a perfect example. Yeah. So right now I represent people I, I, uh, who have had their clearances revoked and we go through a process with DOD or with, with uh, the agency. And I'm not suggesting that she should have been, but I'm saying no. we've, we've covered you know, numerous instances of this. But when I represent these people and they've done something which is, which is in comparison to having a private server with reams and reams of, uh, of classified material on mm -hmm. it, They've done something which is, is just an infinitesimally small compared to that. Mm -hmm. But um, we do raise this defense, and it does put the decision makers in a bit of a quandary because, uh, okay, how do, we, how do we take this into account that just two years ago really nothing happened to this person? Right. Now, if she were to come back into government, would she be clearable? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think you'd have a very difficult time if she would ever try to come back I other than through elected office mm -hmm. and obtain a security clearance. Chuck McCullough is a uh, former Inspector General of the Intelligence Community of the United States of America. He is currently with the Compass Rose Legal Group. Chuck, we thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. It's a fascinating discussion. We appreciate it. Very much. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to the On the Hill podcast coming to you from the studios of Fox 5 DC in Washington, DC. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. 
Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.